welcome to this Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum podcast. Working for difference, making business better and fairer. The DIFF series of podcasts is aimed at helping people from underrepresented groups get into and get on in the mortgage and protection industry. And to help everyone understand why genuinely prioritizing diversity is good for all of us individually, good for your business, and good for the mortgage market as a whole. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals participating and not necessarily of their respective companies, either past or present. Hello and welcome to another Diff Trailblazer podcast. Today we are joined by Rob Jupp, CEO of Brightstar Financial, a multi-award winning specialist distributor. And Rob himself is a press commentator, regular speaker, a six times winner of the British Mortgage Awards, which is almost a record. But we're also joined by the magnificent Damien Thompson. And Damien, would you just like to introduce yourself and what you do and a little bit about how you got to where you are? Well, my name is Damien Thompson. I am the Managing Director of Retail for Aldermore Bank. I've been there for four years. I've had a very eclectic journey to the position I am in today. I started as a cashier in a branch of the Halifax Building Society in Kings Heath in the summer of 1991. And I've done a number of jobs throughout my career, both with Halifax Principality Building Society, Newcastle Building Society, and now Aldermore. I guess you could say I am one of very few senior black men within financial services and therefore have had an interesting journey on my way here. Thank you for that, that Damien. In, in our previous conversations we've had, you had an interesting schooling, didn't you? Should we sort of go all the way back to where you were schooled and how you were schooled? Actually, it's quite interesting. I was reflecting on this over the last week as I talked to my boys. So I was born in Epsom. You wouldn't hear it from my accent, but um, yes, I was. I left England at the age of four to go back to the Caribbean. My mum got a job looking after children with learning difficulties and disabilities and had to set up a hospital in Barbados to support those children. So we went back to Barbados at the age of four. I was educated there until I was 18, 19. I did my O-levels and A-levels. And then I decided to come back to the UK. So my education was primarily in a place where everybody looked like me, sounded like me, and the highest jobs in the land were done by people like me. So I guess that education was quite strengthening for me in terms of they never felt like there were barriers to progression based on who you were. And I guess one of the other things it always taught me was I remember my mum making me go to the hospital where these children were. And the thing that struck me was I could see children who could do a Rubik's Cube quicker than I could even think about getting off the first page. I could see children who could paint beautifully like Picasso, but they were kind of locked away in this hospital because society deemed them to be different. 
And actually, it really made me think about how all of us have talents, regardless of who we are, what we are. That means that together we can make a difference. And it's always struck with me that, therefore, why don't we get the best out of everyone who works or lives in our society? So diversity for me has always been a wider point than just what people see as maybe gender or color or anything else. It's about how do we make a more inclusive society. That's fantastic. Rob, do you recognize the fact that Damien got a lot of confidence and drew strength from the fact that he was in a place where people that looked like him were doing all the top jobs, etc. I remember having a conversation with you, Rob, where you said going to university for you was what gave you a huge boost in confidence because you were the first person in your family to do that. Yeah, well, two questions there. I mean, f- firstly, yes, I absolutely acknowledge what Damien's just said there. If you belong because everyone looks the same as you at face value, skin colour, then that's a great shot in the arm for confidence. If you're in a group where you are the only person of colour, then you will stand out and, and perhaps historically not always in the right way. Isn't it a shame that 10 years ago, the only non-Caucasian face in the UK mortgage market was Howard from the Halifax. And that says it all. And 10 years later, I think we've made massive strides. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, later. So yeah, for me, the only way that I've achieved social mobility was by uh, receiving a decent education and, and by being born bright enough to get to university. There were certainly brighter children at my comprehensive school who didn't and didn't have the opportunity uh, that I had and ended up really not doing an awful lot as white working class boys is my peer group. So university and higher education for me gave me social mobility and gave me the most tremendous levelling up where the first term I was surrounded by almost certainly middle class and upper class white public school educated people who were hugely more confident, better travelled, more sophisticated, had done things that I'd never even heard of. And then over a period of time, you challenge yourself and you go, okay, I've got two options here. I can just stay as I am and accept my lowly place, all things bright and beautiful and and stay where I am. Or I can challenge these and I can try and socially climb up and be equal to and try and be better then. And and I took, fortunately, the the latter path, which was pretty difficult. But unfortunately, the the one thing it it had as a guarantee is lots and lots of hard work. Indeed. And And I think we've come across that before. I mean, going back to you, Damien, You chose not to go to university. Having met you, uh, there's no question in my mind that you're easily bright enough to go to university, probably one of your choice anywhere in the world. But how difficult do you think you made it for yourself, Damien, to say, right, I'm going to go to cashier? How hard did you have to work to progress from that to the next job, the next job, the next job? It's interesting, Barrett. So you're right. I chose not to go to university. And my choice in relation to that was basically from a cost perspective. My dad had two children. There were two years between us. I had watched him after my mum had died at 16, struggled to put us through school, starting to do a load of entrepreneurial jobs to get extra money. And I just couldn't face asking him to go into debt to put me through university. So he was willing to. He was very disappointed that I didn't do that. But I made the choice, look, I'll come back to England and I'll try and make my way. And I started out as a cashier on the counter at the King's Heath branch. And I worked alongside people who had come in through the graduate program. And it's fair to say that they progressed rather quickly up the organization. 
But what was really interesting to the point that uh, Rob made was Halifax at that time ran a program called an Accelerated Development Program where you could work as a cashier on the county. You could apply and go through a selection process to go on this program that within two years guaranteed you a management position. And for the first three or four years, I could not get on to it, Barrett. I had really good results. I was a good salesperson, but I just didn't get on. But one year I did. And I think in that year, I always remember that a guy came into the back of the room while we were doing, we had to do presentations on lessons learned in childhood. And I did a presentation. This guy sat at the back of the room and I got onto the program. A couple of years later, I met him and he was the regional HR manager. And he said to me, actually, what was really interesting was that you gave a very different perspective to anything that I heard. And to Rob's point, I think coming from a working class background and having different perspectives, he recognized would be different and create value. And I think not going to university, I think I've always held a chip on my shoulder that I've got to keep learning. And even to today, Barrett, I am never not reading or learning. And maybe it's the thing that's driven me to succeed in a world where traditionally graduates have done much better than people who haven't been to university. That's interesting. It's interesting that you might be touched on somebody there and maybe we'll come back to, I know there've been other people that have actually helped you, but I'd like to see, Rob, allyship is something that we like to discuss about in DIFF because it is so important that you're there to help somebody. So many of our trailblazers have been able to say, yes, it was that person, Mr. or Miss so-and-so, that gave me a chance that allowed me to do the next thing. Have you had that in, in your career, Rob? Have you had somebody who either took a chance on you or helped you consolidate what you were doing? I think anybody that has had success hasn't had success without that, Barrett. And I've had a number of people that have continued to support me, to love me, to guide me throughout my life. I mean, there's two that stand out for me, head and shoulders above the others. The first and most important person was my mother, who grew up in post-war Britain with a, in a single parent family. Her father died just after the Second World War. So her mother had to bring up three kids, five jobs, post-war Britain, without the real benefit of the welfare state on her own. And and gave my my mum tremendous confidence in what could be achieved if you really worked hard. So my mum instilled the, the most incredible work ethic in all her children. And me being the youngest, I think I was her last shot at success. So she worked a bit harder, I think, with me than, than perhaps the others. And the second one, actually, is my wife, Claire, who I met at university 30 years ago as a bright working class girl whose father worked at Ford and Dagenham, who stood out because she talked similar to me. She had similar experiences to me. We were very much a minority within the peer group that we were within and as we've continued to develop as people she's always supported me and backed me and has been a really good critical friend so actually the two people in my life are my absolute cornerstones are are both women and both remarkable for fairly similar reasons actually and i remember damien in some of our discussions, you've had people that have actually helped you at critical points in your progression, as well as people who, from what I can understand, almost 
almost held you back by telling you that you simply couldn't do the job that you were about to apply for? It's a really interesting position and it's something that I get quite angry about it actually in some ways because I think sometimes when we have these conversations, we start out in a place that everyone is against you and that it's a big struggle and it is a struggle. But in my 30 years in financial services, there have been people who have stuck the neck out for me. And when I decided to make the transition from working in a big bank to a building society, I got headhunted by the guy who'd come in at Principality to run the director of distribution. His name was Stuart Dean. And I will never forget our first interview and our first conversation where he said to me, look, Damien, I want you to come and work here because we are so different. And I think there's gold in that difference. So when I went through the interview process at Principality, it's fair to say that he stuck his neck out for me to get that job because I think the consensus was why would we hire this guy when we've got other people that seem to fit? And Stuart said to them, I want somebody who's very different to me. I need that balance in my management team. And it's one of the things that's always stood with me. We always talk about hiring the right person for the job, but he introduced me to the right person for the team. And I think it went on to be a fantastic relationship. He was the toughest boss I have ever worked for. He drove me sometimes crazy because he demanded that I always be at my best. But throughout my career, the lessons he's taught me, I don't think anybody else would have taught me. I learned lots of things that I wouldn't have done, but I learned lots of things that stick with me today. And then throughout my career, there's been a lot of other people, you know, and I'm mentioning a few doesn't feel fair, but Peter Griffiths, who was the CEO of Principality Building Society, recognized that I was in Cardiff on my own and invited me to break bread with his family. And to be honest, it was so tremendous that he would take time out to recognize that I was a man in Cardiff in a place where it was very different to where I'd, I'd ever been. And he invited me to come and spend time with his family. And to this day, he's still the person that if I need a voice or a call, I'll pick up the telephone and speak to. So this feeling that we are all interconnected regardless is interesting because his background was very similar to Rob's and very similar to mine. He grew up in part of Wales where it wasn't affluent and he's done well. So there's an a kinship of people throughout their career who've had to build resilience. And I think it's really important we continue to focus on how do we make teams different to get the best out of them? That's a great point, Damien. Rob, as somebody whose business is built around a number of discrete teams with their own personalities, characters and requirements, do you sort of take that from Damien, that you've got to build the team as well as just get the right person for the job? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Damien's words there were very special. So I think culture isn't something that you just get, you're just given. Culture is something that you create and culture is the most important part of any business. And culture certainly has to come from the top table and it's got to be reflective on having the right skill sets on that top table to give the appropriate culture. But in our business, we're very fast moving, we're very diverse. We have both a sort of a provincial and a national basis that have slightly different requirements and have slightly different cultures. But the same ethos is throughout the spine of, of all of our portfolio companies, which is we want to be very, very honest with each other. We want to ensure that there's 
genuine meritocracy that we give all of our people the opportunity to develop and give them an environment where they feel safe and they feel cared for loved embraced they love what they do and it's strange isn't it if you give people the appropriate support and love in any shape of life bit family or business they generally flourish you know people don't come to work to fail they come to work to succeed and it's always shocking to me how badly people are dealt with with a lot of companies and i think culture is is arguably the easiest but yet the most difficult thing to try and get right. Because if you get the culture wrong at the top table, you just have every single part of the business that struggles and is reflective of that. But if you get it right, it's like a perfectly tuned piece of machinery. It's like the wonderful Philharmonic Orchestra. It just purrs with perfection. It just looks and feels and is great. And that's the important thing as, as business leaders, in my case as an entrepreneur, it's my challenge to ensure that my legacy is getting the right culture within my business. And actually, Barrett, I've got to say in, in the wider industry and sector as well, we're at an age now where legacy is everything. And what we do in the short years some of us have got left in this industry will leave a, a legacy for generations to come. That's very true, Robert. But it's interesting you bring the orchestra analogy there. And I really like that because no matter how good 100 violinists are, they're not going to be able to deliver you a symphony unless you have complementary other instruments involved in it too. And I think that's something that people should remember. I would like to sort of discuss the idea that in the specialist mortgage market in which we've all working, do you think, because there is a perception that it's got further to go in terms of embracing diversity and inclusivity, particularly in terms of ethnicity and underrepresented groups from a race perspective, than the more mainstream marketplace. What do you think about that, Damien? Do you think because it's more specialist, it needs more experience, that it's got more issues? It's a really interesting point, right? So I work at Aldemore, and I'd have to say that it's maybe the most diverse organization from an ethnicity perspective that I've ever worked for. I think what we sometimes can see is we sometimes maybe look at a top table and we go, this doesn't look very diverse. And therefore, these companies lack diversity. But in most organizations, Barrett, at the lower levels, the representation is significantly stronger. The challenge is what are the routes to the top of the organization that we need to think about. So for me, it's the bottom layer of the cake is quite strong, but nobody sees it. But at the top layer, how are we going to manage that opportunity? And, and Rob made a really interesting point, which is around legacy. And we all have a part to play in that. So what will be the legacy in the specialist market of diversity? And that's something that we as the senior leaders need to think about in the industry. So the interesting thing about that is that gets stronger by uh, the people who actually are at the top really making sure that they leave a strong legacy that people look and go, I've seen somebody like you at the top of organizations, as it does for women, as it does for people listening to Rob today, who come from a background, a working class, I've been to university, is how do we make those routes more available? And history is a significant part of that, right? Because if you look back in history, you see people who look like you and have been like you and have done things it means you can think about those. So the legacy is for us to leave it, not maybe in my lifetime, but in lifetimes to come, where the diversity in specialist markets is like the customers we represent. 
because the underrepresented areas in society are the people that use the specialist market maybe more than others. That's an interesting point. Rob, what do you think about that in terms of, and I know that you're very diverse and I know that all the more are, but the other players in our marketplace tend to be monosexual, monochromatic in their makeup and not, and not necessarily just at the top table. I think that's a fair point, Barrett. But as Damien rightly says, change is afoot. The winds of change are, are very much blowing in our industry and ensuring there is going to be and is equal opportunities and diversity and inclusion for everyone. But it will take a while for it to turn around. It, you know, I'm not saying it will take a generation to turn around, but 20 years ago, our specialist world would have insisted entirely of white middle-aged men. That's all it would have been, middle-aged, middle-class men. That's all it would have been. And I've seen with tremendous pace, particularly with young women coming through and coming into the industry, that we have done a tremendously positive job of work, particularly in the intermediary, mortgage intermediary world, of saying, look, this is a good place for a decent career. It might not be your choice as an 18-year-old college leaver or as a 21-year-old grad to come in. I mean, you know, I'm not certain that many people are born and want to aspire one day to be a mortgage advisor, but it's a job that keeps most of us for our whole working careers. And it's got to for, for a reason. It's a well-paid job. It's a really interesting, fulfilling and possibly the most sort of dynamic job around because it's it's forever changing because of regulation, because of technology and, and, and everything else. I won't accept that the specialist market is considerably worse than its mainstream colleagues. I have to say, I think um, there's an awful lot of innovation and brilliant role models such as Damien that come out of the specialist lending market. And I think probably the, the pace of change in the specialist lending market and the strong winds are even stronger right now than possibly even their mainstream colleagues. There is a real commitment and desire to change and change for good. That is fantastic to hear. Although I do have to go back and say, when I try and find another Damien at Damien's level in our market, I do find it difficult. Damien is the only MD who is black in our marketplace. And that, I think, has to change. And to that But Barrett, in 10 years' time, I guarantee you that will not be the case. This is purely down, I'm afraid, to a legacy issue of of the way the industry used to be used to be managed. When when Damien and I, and to a degree, Barrett, we started our careers some you know 25, 30 years ago. In 10 years' time, it will look and feel incredibly different to what it does today, I'm pleased to say. And I hope you're right. And and there's a lot of things pointing in that direction. But what do we have to do to accelerate that Damien because one of the things people say is one of the routes to go in, in banking and on the lender side rather than the distributor side it is through the sales side of things and I've had a number of people turn around to me and say people say yeah you're really good at sales good that's it you can do that they are not then trusted because they haven't come through the grad scheme and to the right university and all that sort of stuff they're not then trusted with anything strategic or, or anything with real management teeth. Do you think that's an issue, Damien, that we need to address? I think it's more for us shaping how you become a senior leader in, in an organization. So to the point I make, and I, and I give people this as, as an example, my first people I met when I joined the specialist market was actually Rob. I don't know if you can remember, Rob, you came to see me in Monument and we sat down and we had a conversation. 
And I asked Rob, you know, what is it Aldermore needs to do to stand out in the marketplace more effective? And he was very, very honest with me. And I think it's similar as what we need to do in the actual working market, actually, is recognize and teach and make sure people get the skills that mean you can't have that labeled at you, Barrett. So when I talk to people about how I've built my career, I recognized very early on that in the big banks, people like me weren't in senior positions. And that if I was going to get there, I had to have a very layered career. So I made choices, Barrett. I made choices to be on the road doing the jobs that other people didn't want to do because they were too far to travel. I made the sacrifices because whenever someone told me I couldn't do it, I found a way out and a route. I did something different. What the industry has to think about more than anything, be it diversity, gender, this new generation will find a way and diversity will find itself in the places where it feels more at home. So it's about the industry recognizing you are going to lose talent if you don't provide the pathways, if you don't show people how they transition from sales into other jobs, if you don't take those chances, those people will go into other industries. They'll go into other areas of work. And as Barrett has said, as we become more technologically led, then those are some of the skill sets that people have to start thinking about creating today. How are you going to market mortgages in a digital world? How are you going to understand how consumers' needs change? How are you going to understand that 50% of the population is going to be female and that in terms of how do you support them and making decisions? Those are the criticals. So it's going to take a while, but people have got to find the right career path. And if I give anybody advice and they come and talk to me about how I did it, I did a variety of jobs outside of sales. I didn't allow myself to get pigeonholed as a salesman only. I started there. But I broadened myself quite quickly and organizations can help, but people have got to find those opportunities. And my view to anybody of diversity is if you can't see opportunities in this industry and you're willing to put the work in, there are other industries that will take you and there are other industries that are more open and therefore the talent will move. Talent will always find a way. And I couldn't agree with you more. So... What do we have to do as industry leaders, right? Well, you guys, not me. What needs to be done to make sure that the talent we have progresses well? Is there any structures we need to do? Do we need to hire chief diversity officers? Do we have to create job roles like Rob has done for Claire, who's done a fantastic job, whose job is just to make sure that, that, that people are happy and people are progressing? Do we need to do something like that? Do we need to create positions where people just whose job it is to make sure that diversity is delivered? We are a, a modest company in terms of size, but the ability to keep people happy all the time uh, and to mentor them and to coach them and to retain them and to develop them and to ensure that they're more productive as a result of all those things surely is one of the most basic things as an employer we need to do. And what's really interesting now, I've seen a number of much, much bigger businesses, Mortgage Advice Bureau being one, who have taken up a similar pathway to, to what we have done within our group and now have a project lead with a team that is responsible for the whole diff and also the whole development part, trying to make sure, and I'll repeat what I said before, people don't come to their place of work 
to fail. People do, however, sadly, in a lot of environments, have an environment which is entirely not conducive to anything other than failure. So yeah, it just depends how seriously we want to attack our businesses. If we do care and we really want to be our very best self and we don't have the resources to, to, to do that within our own businesses, we've got to go and take them. We've got to go and recruit them. I'm fortunate that, you know, I didn't have to go too far in order to get mine, but uh, there's lots and lots of people out there. A fully functioning team, and as uh, I used uh, the orchestra analogy earlier, I think an even better analogy is, is a rugby. I'm, I'm a rugby dad. A rugby team, the best rugby teams, have the right people in the right positions and they all know what they've got to do and they know that if you're in the scrum and your second row your job is to hold up the scrum and drive it and win line outs and lift and everything else and tackle whereas if you're a, a you know, fullback your job is to be the last person there so the best teams are like the best rugby teams they have the right people in the right positions everybody knows what they've got to try and achieve they all work together for the same common good and everybody sort of looks out and cares about each other and, and I don't think that you have to be a great big business like the ones I've mentioned or, or a smaller business like mine in order to achieve that. It's got to be almost like an obsession to make yourself better than you are right now. Damien, would you compare with that? Yeah, I think that diversity and inclusion, and I like that word inclusion, is the management team's responsibility. It's the board's responsibility because everything says that diversity of thought, diversity of capability leads to better financial outcomes better impacts on society. And I think, you know, we used the, the example of the orchestra before, but it's really important that people recognize both people of diversity and of color and, and of everything else, that we have a proud history of delivery. You know, you go back to the orchestra. I was stunned to realize that in the court of Henry VIII, we had a black trumpet player who was bold enough and good enough to ask the king for a pay raise and got it. So when you look back through our history, we have people of color, people of diversity playing roles across a number of different things. And companies need to recognize that having that diversity is good for business, promoting it, managing it, supporting at every level in the organization will make their company stronger. But if they don't do it, in the future, it'll make it weaker because this new generation won't live with some of the things that maybe I was willing to put up with or I was willing to do to get there. So it's about creating a world where everyone feels they've got an opportunity, but not an opportunity going to be given to you. You're going to have to work for it, right? But you're at least going to get a chance. It can't be like when I applied for jobs back in the 1990s, when people would say to me, Mr. Thompson, yes, we let you see we like your educational results come for an interview and when I turn up someone would walk out the office in shock and horror and go oh sorry Mr. Thompson the interviews are closed we've already hired someone and I would start calling up and saying listen is this interview still open yes 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 so when I turned up and people told me that, I said to them, please, can you just give me an interview? We're not going to put up with that. We're not going to put up with those circumstances anymore. But the companies themselves will lose because I didn't have social media. I didn't have so many things that are available today. So it's for organizations. It's for leadership to lead. And it's for people to put themselves in the positions where they build that resilience. You are going to get a no, but it's how you come back from that, Barrett, that tells you we need to be. And Taking the feedback and being honest about where you are and what you need to do is a personal responsibility. 
So it's on all of us to make it better, but the leadership of organizations have got to take control and make it happen. To do that point then, one of the things that we try and drive at through our diversity and inclusivity finance forum is that that diversity and, you critically said it, inclusion is an issue for the main board. It's not an issue that can be hived off to the HR department, a tip box exercise and, and reports back once a year and it appears as a page in your reports and accounts and everything's all fine and dandy when it's not. If it's not done properly, Damien, you're saying that the company itself will suffer, the results will suffer and in the long term, the company is endangering itself. And that's why I love the word inclusion, because how many organizations do you see disabled people leading as CEOs? How many organizations do you see blind people leading as CEOs? And if you think about the impacts of our future in our society with things like electric cars, are we thinking about the impacts of those on people who have a very different view? And if they're at top of organizations, they have a voice, they make us think differently. And it's in that genesis that you see companies like Facebook and these other companies growing because they found a way to harness everybody, everybody who's got an idea, who's got a good idea, can find a home. And that's where companies and people will bleed to. So if we're going to compete against them, we've got to recognize that having that diversity in the boardroom, in the executive room, lowering the organization, creating paths for it, is really interesting. You know, I can't see beyond Ying, a senior person of Chinese or Malaysian within financial services in the UK. It's got to get wider. Those people live and represent here. So it's for organizations to find a way. And as a senior leader, it's my responsibility to make sure I'm supporting all areas of inclusion, not just the stuff that gets onto the newspapers on ethnicity. It's got to be wider than that, Barrett. And if we don't do it, we will fail. I go back to those kids in always drives me. I go back to those kids locked away from society because society didn't want to see them who had skills and ideas that have gone to the grave with them rather than being picked up in our society. We all lose when that happens, Barrett. Nobody wins. We do indeed, Damien. I have to agree with you. And I think one of the future events in the DIFF programme is going to be concentrating on neurodiversity. And we're working on that for 2023 now. And I hope uh, you'll be able to make a contribution to that event. Rob, just to finish off with, Damien is sort of like painted a quite a scary picture if we sort of don't take the whole diversity and inclusion idea to the very core of our beings. I know that, you know, through the work that Claire does, et cetera, you've done that. Do you support and echo that thing? Are we in danger unless we do this stuff properly? Absolutely. I'm unable to add better words than what Damien has spoken. With the passion and even the thumping of the desk, as I could hear in the background, was absolutely heartwarming and knowing the man as I do entirely genuine and yes Damien is a brilliant role model and Ying uh, also was a brilliant and is a brilliant role model but I think it's time now to stop talking about this it's time to start acting if you're a business that doesn't have diversity and inclusion at the heart of your business then you're stupid because you'll never be successful and you'll never reach the full potential and it comes down quite simply to that if you take your business seriously and you want to make it success of your life you will have 
have a much greater chance of achieving that if you absolutely take and have diversity and inclusion at the very center of everything that you do. And your business as a result of that will not just do okay, it will absolutely fly. It will be a happier place to work. It will be a more representative place to do business with. And there is no downside to this whatsoever. None, zero, zilch, nothing. Brilliant. And on that note, I'd like to thank both of you for your words, for your passion, for your sincerity, and indeed for the support that you're giving to the Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum, which is trying to do as much as it can to make a better future happen for the people in the market and for the market itself. And I have to agree with both of you, doing nothing just simply is not an option. So thank you again, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. If you have enjoyed this episode and want diversity and inclusion to have as wide an audience as possible, make sure you share with your friends and colleagues and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode.